Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a schema therapy podcast for therapists. With ISST-accredited schema therapy supervisors and trainers, Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on schema therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. All right, guys. So welcome to uh, this episode of What's the Schemata, the semi-monthly schema therapy uh, deep dive and I'm Rob Brockman, hosting today, and this week I'm lucky to have with me clinical psychologist Sarah Dominguez from Sydney. Sarah is an EMDR supervisor and trainer who recently published an online course with Chris Hayes on the integration of schema therapy and EMDR, and this will be the topic of today's pod, which is schema therapy and EMDR, are they really a power couple? Now, welcome. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. So, well, just Really quickly, I guess just before we get started, I'm sort of aware. I'm aware of a bunch of things you're involved in in the MDR world, and more recently also doing stuff maybe in more the schema sort of um, side of things. Um, why don't you say a few things about yourself? You know, about where you practice, um, kind of population you practice with, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. So I'm Sydney based. I live in. Um, in the east, I've got a small practice in Bondi Junction in Sydney. I have um, most of my time is now spent supporting other therapists doing consultation or EMDR training, but I do have a couple of days a week where I see clients. Clients that I see is typically now in private practice, I see a fairly broad range. I used to work um, primarily in uh, eating disorders program and sexual assault service. Um, those referrals tend to be the ones that make their way to me, but I see sort of a broad range of people. Yeah. yeah. And I'm curious, the, I'm increasingly also in the sort of the consultation sort of um, side of things, and are you protecting those couple of days in a way? Am I protecting them? Yeah. Do you find you have to protect these some days with, uh, you know, with clients and things? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like we, I don't can't otherwise things leech into them. So the, the particularly my species. Tuesdays, yeah, my Tuesdays when I'm in yeah. the, the office, um, I'm very protective of it because, yeah, I think for me working as a supervisor as a trainer, I don't know about you. I think it's really important to keep your hands on the tools and you to, to touch, stay yeah. doing that. Yeah, doing that client totally. work, and it's it's sometimes exhausting, but I love it. Totally, well, totally, yeah, and. Well, I just wanted to mention too, I guess a couple of questions, well, I guess it would lead to this, you know, what's new in the world of EMDR. So just, you know, I think you're really on the pulse with with this stuff. Uh, and I did recently uh, see that you published uh, a chapter in the new Oxford Handbook of EMDR that's just come out. Um, what did you, what did you contribute? Yeah, I have. We had actually had three, we'll have three chapters that I've put into have come out. One came out just yesterday, which is super exciting on EMDR and complex PTSD, which I who I wrote with Kathy Martin, who is a brilliant, brilliant um, American therapist. So the Oxford book is really exciting by, um, uh, which was edited by Australian Sarah Schubert, who I'm sure many yeah. people know. That's how I and found Derek out. Farrell. That's how I found Sorry? out. That's how I found out from Sarah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Won't yeah. stop talking so about had, it. Yes, yeah. yeah. So we had a chapter published yesterday. It's a really exciting resource that will um it's publishing bit by bit. So they've only had eight chapters published wow. for a couple of months ago for yesterday. And I think there's 60 chapters in total. Wow. So talks about every population. Yeah. Super big projects. Two of the force of EMDR. 
Definitely. <laughs> yeah. What's the second chapter you contributed on? So the second chapter I've dropped was EMDR as a transdiagnostic intervention. So it fits in quite well, Beautiful. actually, I think, yeah. with schema because not looking necessarily based on these diagnostic categories, yeah. but looking at the client's symptoms. Well, the processes, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what's what's getting stuck, looking at more sort of client-centred work. And the last chapter I did was EMDR for depression. Yeah, right. Oh, how to use beautiful. Yeah. I, I look forward to reading it. I look forward. Well, okay, so this is where we're at at the moment, but let's go to the start of the journey. Um, mm-hmm. I usually ask, for, we usually ask folks in the pod, um, you, you know, how long have you been in, into, into EMDR? I guess we, you know, we're interviewing you as a little bit of the EMDR person, I guess. Probably there's more to you than that, um, Sarah. But when did you get into EMDR and and why? Yeah, I think sometimes there's times where I wonder what happened to my life outside of EMDR, outside of work. Um, but I probably well, it's just a time. part of you. It's just a part. Yeah, of you. Yes, a big part. Exactly but... right. A big part of me. Um, so 2016, I was trained in EMDR. I've been a therapist, a psychologist for a long time before then. But I went back to uni to do my master's and Chris Lee was my supervisor for a while. He actually, so he trained me in, in schema therapy first. And then I thought while I'm working with him, I might as well um, learn his skills. And I'd always worked from a trauma-informed perspective. Didn't really like doing prolonged exposure because it mm. is so hard for the client, so hard for the therapist. And yeah. um, so I learned it then and jumped quite quickly into quite a few research trials and things from the get-go. So I don't feel like it's been all that long since I trained in MDR. So it's at seven, eight years. Uh, But, um, yeah, so that's sort of how I came in later on in my career, really. Yep. Okay. And, you know, uh, since I got, I mean, I got into schema therapy um, first before I did EMDR training later on. Um, For for me, it was a a bit of a... um, like an EMDR envy at the time because uh, I went to one of the ISST conferences and I noticed that all the European schema therapists um, were also doing EMDR as well on the side. So I got a bit of EMDR envy, came back and did, mm. uh, it sounds like I did the same course as you did um, yeah. once I got back. So um, I think I think they they seem to be a good match and that's, that's what people I would run into would often say, you know, oh, yeah, schema therapy and EMDR are a good match. Um, I mean, why do you think people say that? I think I think there's lots of reasons. One of the things I think comes from within a little bit. I think both EMDR therapists and schema therapists are generally a little bit more integrative, which I think is a really good thing. So they're sort of keeping their eyes open for other skills and techniques that will be able to to be incorporated. And I think sometimes in some other interventions, there's a little bit more rigidity around staying with it. So I think that keeps people more open to looking for other things. But I think they, I just really think they complement each other and they they do integrate so well together. Like they, you know, you can use some of the schema strategies in different parts of EMDR. You can be doing schema therapy and then just pull the EMDR standard protocol and process things. Like I think they just fit really well together and no intervention is perfect, but I think definitely putting them both together is is. Um, strengthens both interventions. Yeah. So, what led you to do a course like with you know to, to generate a course with Chris on um, with Chris Hayes on you know the integration of schema and yeah. EMDR? So, Chris, I met Chris 
when I was learning EMDR and therapy, so in 2016, we worked together for a long time at um, SARC, the Sexual Resource Centre in Perth, and worked also on the IRM study, which I know you've spoken about before on the pod. And we get, as you sort of alluded to before, and I think, Rob, you're quite similar to this, you know, we get quite geeky with our um, discussions and things and we love oh. our job and love the work and we've been talking about doing things for a long, long time. And both of us in our different trainings and integrations have people, I get a lot of people asking about schema therapy when I'm doing training and how it integrates and I think Chris has, has said the same thing. I'm sure you've heard, yeah, heard totally. the same when yeah. you're doing training. And so we've, it's something that was a long time coming. We've been planning to do something together for a long time because it, as we say, we say, we feel both feel like they fit really well together. So just being able to find a way that they can sort of integrate because that's one of the biggest things is people, you know, even therapists who are well trained in both of the interventions just want to get some more information about how they can yeah. use them together. Yeah. I mean, and how have you brought them together? How, how, I mean, I guess there's a number of ways maybe to do it. You've mentioned, you've alluded to a couple of ways maybe just a moment ago, but how, how have you guys figured out how to bring these two things together to talk to each other in a way that could be helpful? Yeah, I think looking at um, on lots of different levels to to sort of integrate them together. So when you're doing sort of the history of formulation as a, a Chris's perspective will be slightly differently different, which is why I think it's good the, for us to do it together. But from my perspective, the AIP model, which underpins EMDR, is really helpful, sort of understanding that everyone has the capacity to heal themselves. But I think particularly if you're a beginning EMDR therapist, getting that formulation can be quite tricky. Um, and actually, as an experienced EMDR therapist, I think the formulation can be one of the trickiest part of our job. And for me, schema therapy can be really helpful that, with that. Being able to talk in schemas can really help the client get a good understanding of what's going on now, how that links in the past. And and so I think and every other level that you go through, it can be really helpful to bring the best out of both by sort of integrating it through, if that makes sense. So, I mean, the you're alluding to that the schema um, assessment and formulation process can be really helpful to an EMDR therapist. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I think so. Well, I think so, yeah. I mean, I was doing a lot of um, when I did my MDR training. I was doing it with, with Graham Taylor, mm. and he he the way I, the, what you know what I sort of got out of it is that he was more or less teaching schema therapy like level one as the sort of formulation approach uh, for for later for EMDR processing. Um, that was sort of the way it came across to me. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, well, I think I mean, in essence, both the interventions understand, which just makes perfect sense that. The things that we do now are shaped by what happened earlier and some patterns of behavioural thoughts can perpetuate all the way through. And that's sort of standard for, for both of them. But I think being able to talk to someone about unrelenting standards or social isolation gives a really nice language, a really nice non-judgy language that can complement yeah. things. Yeah. Do you use, I mean, that's the other thing, I guess, from when I in my training with Graham, uh, he would very much... I guess rather than use uh, different models like IFS or that's internal family systems or structural mm. dissociation kind of model, he would he would use more the schema modes as the sort of parts model. Can yeah. you say a few things about that? Because it seems that um, I think EMDR therapists appeal to different like trauma focused models um, 
But that, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think, I mean, having a parts model, I think, is crucial. One of the other things that that schema, I think, can be helpful is for that, you know, for if the processing is blocked or resistance and things like that, doing some mode work. Whether, as an EMDR therapist, I'll often say, like, whether you use schema modes or IFS or ego states, whatever model you use to to describe different parts, I, I don't think... As, as an EMDR therapist, I don't think it matters much as long as you have a model that makes sense to you and you can explain it to your clients. For me personally, I did use the mode model more, I think. I used to use it more. I still do use the mode model occasionally, particularly if I want to sort of map something out and have it visual, if I have a client that's yeah. quite a visual learner. But I'll often also just sort of use more ego state, so more just talk about parts without having that sort of structured drawing. It depends on how entrenched the modes are and yeah, you know, moving on to chair work and stuff like that. So in, in your view, and I guess in I'm, I'm sort of extrapolating from that, in the view of many MDR trainers, it, it doesn't matter exactly which parts model you use, it, just that you you have a parts model uh, in your toolkit that you're going to need to be able to deal with that with different yeah, you know, parts yeah. that come up and dissociation and yeah definitely definitely I mean I'd always be very hesitant to speak on behalf of all EMDR trainers because sure, sure. it's a very diverse bunch but yeah that that would definitely be my view just being able to explain to clients to to be able to explain resistance or ambivalence or or any of that and having a clear model that doesn't pathologize it I think is really important and I think. Out of all the things like schema modes is 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 a really good, clear, relatable way to do that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let, let's let's take over a little bit. Um, what what can let's start with? You know, I'm being selfish. What what can EMDR training offer uh, the schema therapist? I think um, the probably the biggest thing that I would say is I think it's really important that all therapists, I would say, have a trauma-focused intervention to use to process past memories. And I think within schema therapy, there's lots of experiential things and they've got uh, imagery scripting, which we know is incredibly effective. Um, But I think having two evidence-based trauma-focused interventions is helpful. So I think just having another tool in your pocket for when clients say come in yeah. and say they don't like imagery scripting or it doesn't work for them for whatever reason. Totally. Having an alternative, I think, is is really important, which is not a very um sexy or, or nice, you know, good reason, but I think that's a really good one just to have an alternative yeah. to offer. Um and I think it's a I think it's a very good reason, you know, because yeah. um clients would often, you know, not accept your intervention, whether you know Let's face it, imagery of scripting, for example, is very fantastical in a way, you know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly to some, right. you know, let's go back and to talk some. to your inner child. Yeah, yeah. So, and to some therapists. Um, more sort of nuanced, I guess, from my views, I think even, I mean, imagery of scripting, uh, I think, is a brilliant intervention. But there are times with EMDR therapy you can process things like blind to protocol where you don't need to even know what the client is talking yeah, about. Yeah. And I think that's really good for lots of reasons, good for clients who aren't going to tell mm. you what's going on. It's really good for vicarious trauma. Mm. Um, so I think it can be helpful around that. And I I think once you've got some good momentum, it can, my experience at least has been it can it can make the therapy a little faster than just using yeah. standard therapy. 
yeah. move through stuff a little quicker. I mean, I'll be curious what you think. I mean, I kind of landed somewhere similar, um, having done a lot of schema training first and then gone and scratched that itch about, um, yeah. you know, EMDR FOMO. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah, kind yeah. of landed on a spot where, because I'm so used to doing schema, I, this really gets the results in most most of the cases, you know, that, um, we can yeah. get through. And uh, where I found EMDR kind of came into its own is with it's that real sort of recurrent distressing imagery or memories, you know, it's that real just, yeah, you know. really intrusive. Yeah. And particularly if for whatever reason, the imagery rescripting type work wasn't acceptable for some reason, yeah. um, uh, you know, I found that a really good tool to be able to switch up the processing approach. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I, yeah. And I think considering the other alternatives, you know, prolonged exposure and cognitive processing therapy, which are really, effective interventions having something that's relatively quick it's not that long to train in yeah yeah is is really helpful and there's so many protocols this sort of oh my god yeah, it's are. like protocol for you know yeah, I could yeah. make some, I, mean, some I, think jokes, so, I think schema therapists seem to understand this better than than sometimes some emdr therapists though the standard protocol though if you're looking at distress if you're looking at those intrusive yeah. images or memories whether the person meets the DSM criteria for OCD, it doesn't matter. Like you're just using the standard protocol and and going through. And I think that's sort of integrated so well into schema therapy as well. Yeah. It's very much, yeah, I think schema therapy is very much process-based. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's flip it around a little bit. Uh, what, What can schema therapy offer the MDR therapist? So, again, I think heaps. I, I, um, we talked a little bit before about helping in sort of formulation, so the history planning and, and giving a nice language and structure, um, particularly if you're working on formulation, so you can talk in terms of schemas to look at perpetuating behaviours and things. It's also quite good, I think, if there's, um, so we alluded to this again, if there's sort of blocking beliefs or, or different parts work that needs to be done, so you can, yeah. you know, things like chair work, even getting different perspectives, historical role play and stuff like that can be really helpful to to help the client sort of be able to look around a little bit, um, especially if they're really under-resourced, really, really under-resourced yeah. and don't yeah. have some of that stuff. Because to some degree, right, you're going to need to be doing processing with a part that holds feelings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you're, I mean, in our model, if you're only doing MDR or processing with a detached part, this is going to be limiting, no? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, one of the amazing things about EMDR is for most clients, even if you start with the detached part, the processing, if you can keep them in the room, the processing will get them down, if you're sort of talking in schema things, to that vulnerable child, but not everybody's most clients. And so if you still have someone there that's really, that detached protector really is really standing in. there. Yeah. yeah, 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 then you can move through and yeah. go with that. I also think... And I, I think this is not often talked about. As an EMDR trainer, as as you know, Rob, like we're all very, you've got to follow the protocol and do the protocol. Yeah. And, and it's really important. We know that you get better treatment outcomes. But particularly using some of the imagery stuff is so good. If you, you know, you're processing in a shorter time just to wrap it up and be able to give the client something at the end of the session, like it's, I think using little bits of schema therapy to to support the client, particularly yeah. that sort of imagery stuff. Yeah. Um, it just whether it be a flashcard or you know. Yeah, yeah, any of, of that stuff. It just deepens the experience, and and 
Wow. You can, some of the schema techniques, you might not have enough time to do a full processing session, but you might be able to do, you know, 20 minutes of chair yeah. work or something, which is still really, really beneficial for the client. Yeah. And you talked about like, so let's say detached protectors blocking processing and in the vast majority, you can sort of get there through being persistent and, and making them feel comfortable. And you kind of get underneath that and you get to the, some of the feelings and processing starts. But for those that are really hunkered down, I would imagine some of the schema protocols around work with the detached protector, you know, trying to understand role and function, doing chair work, pros and cons, really engaging with that side about what's the block here? What's, you know, why can't we get there? You know, this would be fitting perfectly. Definitely, definitely. I don't know if you've seen um, actually one of a couple of my favourite videos. Uh, I know that you've been looking through our um, webinar series. I don't know if you've seen Chris's using sort of chair work and stuff as an interweave, but it's really, they're very Ah. good videos because you see him trying to put on accents, which is always funny. Um, so he's got this uh, like a Scottish accent, right? Because he didn't have a yeah, actor. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, I'm not going to do it now. But, you know, he's pretending to be the client, which is Scottish. And then he's being himself as it flashes back at him. Yeah. yeah. But it's a really good example of, you know, particularly if you've done chair work and you're in the middle of processing and the client's just looping, being able to point back into the chair and and just as a really short, sharp interweave and then come straight back into processing. Whereas I think if you didn't have that chair work and that understanding, that wouldn't be available to you. And it's really, yeah. really effective, I think. Right. So so can you just can you just for our audience explain uh what an interweave is just in like yeah, 30 sure. seconds or less? Me. <laughs> so an interweave for when we're doing processing for those who are EMDR therapists. Actually, yeah, we probably should even go back for those many who aren't EMDR <laughs> therapists listening to us. But the tenets of EMDR is, is that um, we ask the client to think of something dis- distressing and then we get them to focus on something else, usually our fingers going back and forward. And as therapists, we just stay out of the way. And once the client has that space, their pra- brain does go and and reprocesses the memory, that stuck memory, that memory from the past that's still vivid becomes less vivid and less distressing. Sometimes, however, it will get stuck. So the client might be just thinking about um, the sense of fear and you do a couple of of sets and the fear doesn't seem to be going away. So you might have an interweave, which would be just a short, just a couple of words to let them know, um, to give them information that they need now. So if they were stuck on fear, you might say something to the client, how long ago was the accident? And the client might pause and, and in that moment realise actually it was two years ago, they're safe now, and then you keep going. So it's just a short bit of information to give new. That's interesting. short set of sentence to give new information. I mean, right? in, in schema, we would probably, I mean, I'm just, you know, lead towards something a bit more nurturing, like rather than see it as information necessarily. Like, you know, so in schema we might say something like, um, it's okay, you know, um, you're safe now. Or, you're, you know, yeah. you're here now, you're safe. Yeah, it it depends. So you might do that as well in EMDR. It depends on what you, this is why attunement is so important. It depends on what the client needs. So the client might be, you might make an assessment that they're in that moment, they're stuck thinking they're still back in the accident. So knowing that yep. that time difference might be there. Or they might get that sense that they're completely unprotected. So you might just say in a really calm voice, I'm here with you, we'll get through this, and then just keep going. That's so, so interesting. Depends- so those interweaves could be seen almost as a little bit of reparenting. Definitely, you know? definitely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you use the word needs. Can you say a few things? Because obviously that's a part of the schema model, it's a core part. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, so this is why they get along, right? But could you say something about that? Like, so how central is the idea of like core needs to EMDR? Oh, I think it's it's critical to all therapeutic work. I mean, you know, dysfunction comes, I believe, from so the the EMDR model is is based on the adaptive information that uh, the adaptive information model. So in at some stage. Something happens and we can't access the adaptive, the healthy information that we need. So we can't access our healthy adult, I guess, in terms of schema mm-hmm. terms. Um, usually that's because our needs weren't met. So usually that, well, you maybe always that's because our needs mm-hmm. weren't met. Mm-hmm. So maybe mm-hmm. we didn't have the nurturance or the safety. Yep. Things weren't um, safe or, you know, couldn't express our any needs of that or whatever. Stuff. It is. Yeah. 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 And then similar to schema therapy, we develop behaviors to, 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 care for ourselves at that time when our needs aren't met and typically they're adaptive at that time but we carry on those behaviors long after that time is over do we just say that that, that uh, core needs are are really like sent a central part of emdr i think so yeah. i would say so yeah i think that core needs and you know that core sense of the importance of that attachment to the world is is critical so this is why they're fellow travellers, I think, because that, that's yeah. at the heart of it all. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. Well, let's let's go to. I know you mentioned the IREM study. Mm. Um, a lot of listeners will probably know what that is. Could you could you explain what the IREM study is? Yeah, sure. So, the IREM study is, or the first study um, is a large randomised controlled trial that was done in Australia, the Netherlands, and Germany. Um, looking at treatments for adults who have had child uh, PTSD from childhood. So adults have had things that happened when they were little. The main reason for the study really was to look at the question of can you treat adults with PTSD from childhood? So complex PTSD in essence, although at the yep. start of the study that wasn't a diagnostic category, but can you treat adults with complex PTSD without an extensive stabilisation period? Um, And this has been an ongoing discussion for decades that goes through the literature. And many, many people thinking that for every client that has complex PTSD, you need to have a stabilisation. stabilisation. Yeah, that's separate to it. So you need to do a DVT program or a STAIR program or something before you move on to stabilisation. And so the RM study was really cool. We had just 12 sessions of either imagery scripting and EMDR and twice a week. So it was really quick intervention, just six weeks. And you're testing my memory, but I think from memory, a year after the intervention, 81% of the participants no longer met the criteria for PTSD, which was broadly the same in both treatment arms, imagery scripting and MDR. Yes, yes. You, I know, probably like the rest of us, were desperate to find some difference within yeah. them. We like, a, we like the the battle, you know, the versus. Yeah. Um, yes. But but both seem to be working, uh, you know, certainly by follow up, no significant differences, and and as you said, really really interesting, right? Um, that there was no uh, sort of uh, extensive um, initial phase of stabilization. No, no, which and would I be like hearsay. Really I mean, in the trauma world, to, to some, no. Yeah, well, a lot of people. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I just as as we said at the beginning, I just published a chapter on using MDR for complex PTSD, and it's. It, 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 even with my colleagues that we were writing on it, Sarah Schubert, there's still, even with us, we had some disagreements about how things were done. 
And it doesn't, the results of the IRM trial don't mean that you can pluck any client with complex PTSD, no. sit them on the chair in front of you and start doing imagery scripting. And expect EBR. them not to do any stabilization. Yes. No. But but for many clients, you can do you just can. a couple of sessions. Yeah. You yeah. can get into it. Yeah. Interestingly, we we interviewed all the um, therapists, including Chris Hayes, about what they had learnt from the study, and every therapist said, um, if we asked them if they had any advice, I think, for beginning therapists learning in imagery scripting or MDR, and every single therapist said, just get in there and do it. Don't have an extensive yeah. stabilisation time. Just yeah. get in That's there. That's what they learned out of it. It was like tested their own stuff. beliefs yeah. about yeah. the fragility of the clients, perhaps. Yeah. 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 I mean, I take, I took, I mean, I took kind of, I talked to Chris a lot, but um, I sort of took that out of it too, listening to him. And I've, I've heard yourself talk about it. Um, you know, and with these group studies, you can, you can show that on average, you know, clients did well and you had the treatment effects and safety and things. But I always do think that that doesn't, I guess you alluded to it, it doesn't mean that individuals in the sample might not have benefited perhaps from some stabilisation, mm. um, you know. So, yeah, it's good to look yeah, at the group it statistics. Comes in, but. Yeah. I mean, it comes in a little bit to just is it necessary, you know, having other strategies. Like DBT is great. It's a great thing to have. And if people want that skill, if that's what they want, they want to be able to, to do that. I think that's really helpful and that can be a standalone intervention. But if they want the nightmares to go and that's yeah. the primary thing they want, and, of course, you need to assess risks um, and go through that, but if that's the primary thing they want, then go in and treat that. Yeah. And Anud found that too in some previous studies before, right, before um, they did IREM, looking at imagery scripting with, with, I think it was the STARE program, and they did it with mm. and without stare, and it it mm. wasn't until they got to the imagery scripting that anything happened to the to the, to yeah. the trauma. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. We've got another study, the second version of the IRM, which um, is taking forever thanks to COVID, primarily. Yeah. But should be we should be finishing data collection. I, I'm hoping next year, and we're going to try and tease it out a little bit more too. We're having more participants, so about 220 participants, to really try and get more information around it. I mean, I mean, this issue. I mean, you, you're a trauma therapist, and you're dealing with trauma all the time, and consulting, mm-hmm. and seeing clients. This is this is the thing, right, Sarah? I'd love, I'd love to know what you think. Like in our job, we're often confronted with the fact that the thing we know that is going to help uh, is going there and promoting mm. processing, right? Um, but it's also the thing that that will can. Um, trigger off the feelings, trigger off the emotional pain. Um, yeah. What's your advice? What's your advice for for therapists that, that are out there struggling with this thing? Like you're kind of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't in a certain yeah. way. Like the very thing that we know helps, it, it's also painful. And for yeah. some, for some, let's say, it would actually be too painful. Some some choose yeah. not to. I mean, yeah. this is the conundrum we're in. It is. And it's a really good question, I think, Rob, because it's sort of the core, it, it's the core thing, I think, that um, should be on our minds as a as a good therapist, and I think for me, it's to be be explicit about it. So don't say I need to do more. So in in EMDR terms, we talk about preparation rather than stabilization because the client's not going to be stable, or it's unlikely until you can do the trauma work. Um, but they can be well prepared, 
And so don't just say, oh, this client's really unwell, I need to do lots of preparation. Really work out exactly why do you need to do preparation for this client and what do they need? So is it because they're suicidal? So what do they need to be able to hold their safety when they're going through? Or is it because they're ambivalent or, or whatever it is that you need? But just be really explicit about what the preparation is you're doing with that client i think is really preparation for what yeah yeah what are you what's the block what are you afraid of if we go there yeah exactly yeah exactly okay makes sense and i mean million dollar question and i know i don't think they've really answered this yet in the literature from irem i'd heard that they were going to try maybe with a qualitative study but i imagine you and chris and others sitting around trying to figure out uh Courses for courses. Who who's yeah. going to do better? Like who do we choose? Who's going to do better with EMDR? Who are the clients that do better with um with you know with imagery scripting? Yeah. If down the track a predictor study, who can we predict this? What's your yeah. process on this? So it was really interesting, yeah, as you said in the IRM study that that wasn't. We were all waiting to see some indicator just for us to know clinically what is the best intervention to use for who. We have the second study as we're going on, we've got a lot more process measures. So looking at maybe if it's earlier, maybe the the age of the trauma. So if it's under five, one intervention might be better or the nature of the trauma to see if, if any of that leads into it. So hopefully when the next IRM study is published, that will answer those questions. Part of my answer to this then, particularly looking maybe at imagery scripting and EMDR as opposed to schema yep, and EMDR, yep. but looking at imagery scripting, it's, it's always difficult answering this because this is not what was said by the data in IRM, as you said. Yeah. But so let's just put the throw the data out now. Throw the data out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. Don't tell no. our noodle, Chris. Don't no, tell no, the Chris. scientists in the building. This is the practitioner part um, of you. As a practitioner, I find particularly if there's early um, neglect, so it can be lots of traumas of commission, we'd say, so lots of yeah. bad things might have happened to them. But also if there was an like no good things happened to them. So no one tucked them in at night. So no one hugged well, them. Yeah. yeah, massive areas of neglect. Yeah. Then I find sometimes imagery scripting is helpful first because in MDR we ask the client just to notice the emotions. And some clients are just too terrified of the emotions to be able yeah, to There's sit no with co-regulation. Them. So, They've never yeah, been co-regulated. Yeah. 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 So they just can't do that. So having and then you might even start imagery of just the child, you know, by themselves yeah. in the room and and just really yeah. slowly. Maybe you feel a bit scared. That's okay. Let me, I want to run my hunch past you. Yeah. Um, well, this is one one variable, right? There's probably lots, as you said, age and different type of trauma and different things. Um, attachment style. So yeah. what I've sort of found is is that clients with trauma who have a very avoidant attachment style um you know you coming in there can sort of add to the it can heighten the the uh the feelings you know so it, it's almost like i've got my stuff and now i've got to deal with you being in there right this is with imagery imagery prescripting mm. so this can they're, they're very much like oh no 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 um i'll take the emdr thank you so they want to kind of process it on their own right they don't want you in there so I found a sort of preference among those I might think of as having avoidant attachment, a preference for EMDR, and those that are more anxiously attached and they really want the co-regulation, that they, mm. they really want imagery scripting. And the idea of EMDR might be a little bit like, oh, I'm doing it on my own, a little bit what, like what you just said, like those with a lot of emotional deprivation and things like that, um, they might be feeling like they're floundering left with 
yeah. the feelings on their own. So I wonder what you think of that. Like, could that be a little bit of a thing? Definitely. I think I think it I think there could definitely be something in that. Although I think to flip it, I mean, this is flip it. You can flip, flip it, it every go. way, you know, if they are really anxious. Or sorry, if they are really avoidant. Yeah. You might have to start, say you're doing the imagery, you might have to start the imagery. They're in their bedroom crying. You're out yeah, yeah. down the street on a telephone. <laughs> And yeah. if you can get them that they feel comfortable of you coming in and sitting with the, next to them in the room, that is can be such a wonderful totally, totally. So, so flipping that around is like even if the avoidant person has a preference for EMDR, it could be that in the end, the, the very thing they're going to need is that reparenting and, and that sort yeah. of co-regulating experience. Yeah, which I think is like the fact that we had this conversation and as you were talking with your hypothesis, that made perfect sense to me and then my mind could flip it and that also makes perfect sense to me. I think as a therapist that's really good because don't don't put too much out of trying to find the perfect intervention for this person. Do something experientially. Just get in there and start doing it. If you start doing EMDR yeah. and you do four sessions and the client doesn't like it, switch over. React, react. Yeah. You know, move it over, uh, but just take do the it. feedback. Take the feedback. Yeah. 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 I think this is, I mean, probably one of the most important points I've learned um, um, doing this kind of work, um, Sarah, is, is the, you know, there is no perfect approach. You know, I know it's a cliche. But we just we'd have to get in there and start doing some things, and then we'll figure we'll we'll figure our way through, you know. Yeah, and we don't know right. for sure how the client's going to react in the beginning, and whether we chose EMDR or imagery or something else in the beginning, um, we won't know. But if we get in there and and we can kind of get a feel for what's going on for the client and what they can tolerate and what's working and what's not, then we can work our way through. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And I think I think that's a really important thing. For particularly, well, for all of us, but particularly for beginning therapists to go through, because otherwise you can get sort of crippled with, is this the perfect way to do it? Yeah, because, you know, there's a lot at stake. And for for therapists, it's like, oh no, what if they get dysregulated? Well, it's going to happen from time to time. Being, you know, working with trauma, if you got through your career and nobody ever got dysregulated ever, then Mm. we might not have been really doing our job properly in a sense that it means we didn't take any risks or. Yeah, definitely. And that's the core thing. I mean, I can remember when I was training as a schema therapist, that whole sort of, you know, a session without any experiential work is, is close yeah. to a wasted session. I think that's really important. That's we don't a schema want schema axi- axiom. Yeah. 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 We don't want the client to be completely dysregulated, but we want them to be activated. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing every now and then we, we overshoot. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. this is this is why I'm saying this. Uh, it's and it's not that you're a bad therapist. It, it's 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 life. It's working yeah. in the space. And what's what's important is that we can take good care of that. You yeah. know, and we can we can show the client that it's it's you can go there and you can come back and be safe and regulate. Um, you know, it's not yeah. this idea of like that you never get dysregulated or if I do then it's um a disaster or um you know the dam opens up and bursts and yeah. I'm annihilated kind of thing yeah and that's i mean no. that's what we do in preparation you know if things get really scary and really bad what is that going to look like for you what are you going to do and if that happens what can we i'm going to make so you vulnerable now Sarah. i'm going to make you vulnerable i hope not too vulnerable but yeah just for all the like budding trauma therapists out there yeah, yeah you know how often 
I don't know, and you're create, create doing this stuff, how often per year would you have that experience of noticing that your clients, that you've overshot with the window of tolerance? Oh. Well, a, a lot, and I think I'll break it down more for whether I've overshot and what that means. The client might think they've overshot. So I'll talk to them and say, this might be really distressing for you. Big memories might come up. If that does happen, what are you going to do? Client will say, oh, I'm I'm fine. You know, I'm really good. I've got everything together. I don't. um, And I'm like, okay, but if it is, if you're the saddest they've ever been times 10, what's that going to look like for you? And so the client will say, I don't know, you know, so I've worked with a, a young girl now who's 17 and her mum still drops her and picks her up. And so we had a plan beforehand. If she does get really distressed, I'll just text mum. Mum will come and see her at the door yeah. and, and you'll just walk her down. Yeah. So I think clients will often get dysregulated, but actually it was something, it wasn't necessarily an error on my part. They no. think they've gone so much more than they would. And I think that will probably happen at some stage with more than half my clients. Yeah, yeah. More than half my clients. But you but see that if specific. we aim for this never to happen, like if if we're too, mm. uh, you know, conservative, then we're, we're, we're in some ways doing them a disservice? Definitely. Definitely. Because then we're we're feeding into that that experiential avoidance or that affect. They're fragile, that they're, they're broken, they can't handle it, you know, this yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, we don't aim for it, of course. We don't want clients to feel that, but no, but we do want them to feel. Yes, yeah, we do want them to they have feel. to touch the pain. They have to. Yeah, and I, I wish there was another way that we knew that was yes. you know yeah. able to help heal. And yeah, um, the other thing I always say, and I wonder what you think. We're not necessarily really great at predicting those that would get overwhelmed. No, do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, definitely, and and still now. I mean, I think it even, I, I many, many moons back, I, I started my career as a psychologist, as a school counsellor. And as a diligent school counsellor, I would read through the files of the clients before they came. And I'd always get a picture in my mind of what the child was going to look like when they came. And I was always, like 100% of the time, completely wrong, completely wrong. And I think, but I think our mind always tries to predict because that's yep. how we plan things, yep. particularly if there's, you know, a client that looks yep. like they've had a lot of bad stuff happen yep. to them. And I I don't stop, you know, I, I'll even sort of be thinking through cases and I'll think it's probably going to be like this. But I'm I'm probably right maybe yep. half the time, maybe a bit more, but yeah. spectacularly wrong often. Totally. So the way I think about this is, and I try to say this in, in supervision to, to um reassure therapists who are doing this work um we're pretty we're, we're okay at predicting it like we look at the client we think you know they could handle this you know level of trauma or you know if we're going to go back into it and things like where we're we going to pitch the work right um but there's always those cases and it's 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 all too frequent it does happen there's always those cases where either you find that you know such and such client that you know um is apparently competent and they're like, yeah, 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 no, I've got this. And, you know, healthy adult looks really, you know, strong in the room. And then, and then you go into these memories and then boom, right? And they kind of fall apart and you and you realise that we've pushed it too far, okay? Um, where there were kind of no real indicators necessarily until you until you really went there. 
Uh, and then vice versa, there's the same kind of thing where, you know, you've been fragilizing the client thinking, oh, they can't cope. And, you know, you've got to like do all this, you know, a year of uh, preparation and things like that. And then later you realize that they could have done it much earlier. Yeah. You know, they, they, you go in there and it's like the healthy adult comes out straight away and, you know, all those kind of things. So um, it's just one of those things that's not comfortable, but probably true that um, we're, we're not great at predicting um you know how this is going to land when you when you get them on the window and doing some you know yeah. touching some of that pain but i think we can talk about what's going to ha- we can you know hope for the best and plan for the worst so assume yeah. that things are going to go really south and ask the client you know what is likely to happen what's happened to them before when they were completely dysregulated yeah um in a and model not being terrified of the emotions as well yeah very good, very good. And I mean, how do you decide in the end? I mean, between mm-hmm. EMDR, like, and and say uh, an imagery scripting approach, do you have any kind of um, process for deciding between the two? Um, often, what it comes down to is client preference. To tell you the truth, I'll, I'll yeah. usually I get a lot more clients. I think um, because EMDR seems to be um i used to probably do about 50 50 half of my clients with emdr half with imagery scripting a lot more clients are coming to me now i think probably because i'm a trainer requesting yeah emdr um which sometimes makes me feel a bit sad because i think imagery scripting is very underrated um but i i typically as i said if it's if there's a lot of early neglect um i might start with with imagery scripting or a lot of that what you know what we call that affect phobia absolute terror of any body sensations or emotions um but often i'll just i'll explain both of them really simply to clients and say where do you want to start we can do one for a couple of sessions if if you don't like it It sounds like there's a part of you that hopes that they'll choose some imagery sometimes (laughs) just to vary up the work and keep things well if it makes you feel any better the shoe's on the other foot with me everyone uh wants to come and do schema so yeah. yeah. It's yeah. one of those things. So yeah. well, um, Sarah, thanks, thanks so much for 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 meeting with us and um and just talking about your work and it's been pretty illuminating and and you know, hearing no, about the interface between chance, these bro. things and uh really, really appreciate it. And um <clears throat> this is a good moment actually to plug a Rama because I know you know you've you've got this online course with Chris, uh, which yeah. which is called Schema Therapy and EMDR Power Couple. Turns out it is a power couple. We answered the question. Absolutely. Um, yes. But, I mean, is there anything you'd like to plug um, for our listeners that might be interested in what you're doing? Yeah, of course. So, yeah, the course with Chris, um, the next one is going, I think, in a couple of weeks. The next course is launching in They're a couple of weeks. They're running basically monthly at the moment, yeah. Yeah, at the moment. Um, and we've had really, yeah, it's been it's really exciting. Um, I've also got a couple of webinar series on my website. So I've got a refresher for those who are trained in EMDR, I've already done some EMDR I'm not using it. You can sign up to a refresher, um, which is launching in the next month, I think, and also just some other short EMDR, like EMDR as a transdiagnostic intervention. Um, yeah, and I'm just about to be rolling out. Actually, we'll put the dates up now um, for my in-person training for next year, so doing level one, level two. And there will be some imagery scripting training, except probably similar to my clients. It does keep pushing it back a little bit, um, but yeah. I, that will happen in the next year. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks for your time, um, Sarah. I'm sure I'll see you around the traps. And um, 
We'll see you next time. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rob. You take Thanks care. Bye. You take care. Bye.